You know what? I'm, I'm working off like a kind of a scuffed setup too. Um, you know, I usually have a nice microphone and all these other things going on. And uh, because I've, I've just moved, I'm kind of setting that all up still. So I'm just uh, working off a headset mic right now. Yeah, nothing like uh, changing your physical location <laughs> to throw everything up in the air. And on top of that, all the things that are going on uh, and all the stresses and whatnot. I can't imagine how. Um, I can at least imagine that you are a little afraid these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> That's correct. Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and I get to learn all of their secrets. And if they're particularly useful, I will just edit those out and keep them all to myself. I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I have Edmonton Jackrabbit GM Chris Robillard with me. Yes, indeed, that Chris Robillard. Uh, thank you so much for your time here today, Chris. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks, Ron. I'm looking forward to talking to you, too. Yeah, now you, uh, you are in an interesting kind of situation because you are a longtime general manager. You were with the BBA um, Back before, I think with Halifax at least, and um, yep. uh, for eight or ten years there, you won a Landis in 2017. Uh, then, uh, then stepped back and uh, and uh, left the league for a little while. Came back in 2036 to take over this expansionistic Edmonton team that had not seen victory in a long time, and within a year were the general manager of the year and won a title. You won a second title against somebody, and I can't remember who that was against. Um, I don't remember either. Just recently, uh, gosh, I, it's it's blanked. I've completely blanked it out of my brain as to who you won that <laughs> second um, second title against. Uh, I think at the end of the day, what the general world would say is that you are pretty good at these baseball management games. Why do you think that is? What is what is your secret here? Um, well, first, I've been doing it for a long time. I, I've been uh, playing these baseball management games till, uh, since I was like 12 years old, probably. Um, <laughs> I remember I was uh, my first game was uh, Baseball Pro 98 and uh, just a text-based game online. And, um, and, and yeah, and so I, I played in that league for basically uh, from middle school through high school. <laughs> and, um, and so it was a very, very long time. And then I think around college, I, I, I stopped uh, playing in that league and I moved. I, I wasn't playing in baseball management sims for a long time. Um, and then once I found, I found the first... Um, OOTP league that I found was the world by the worldwide baseball federation, WWBF. And it had like teams from all over the world had amazing art design. It just didn't have good GMs. And so it folded so quickly. I don't even think it lasted a year, uh, an entire season, but I was so fascinated with OOTP after that. I never actually played, um, uh, a single season, like a solo season on my own. No, never. I don't even know how to load it up on OTB. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, um, I, I, but I, I was always like, I always wanted to replicate that feeling of, so I would play like baseball games. I would play like MLB, uh, the, the show. I would play football games, but I never, came to the same thing and it never felt the, the same i always wanted to get that interaction with other people um the same way i had it in, in bb pro yeah that's interesting um, uh, let me ask a question yeah. um just uh, how old are you when you started you said you started at 12 um what what year was that and and i'm interested in where this Gosh. where this might go to so 
Yeah, well, I'm 32 right now. So, um, and uh, I don't know, 20 years. So, what was that? Yeah, 2000. Yep. Does that sound right? Yeah. So yeah. the reason I ask is because um, your experience. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit older than that, and my uh, experience <laughs> as a younger kind of 12 year old uh, was similar. But we had uh, nothing. We had no computer games to play. Right. We had nothing right. but. Uh, but the dice games and the spinner games and things like that, uh, very similar, right, though, because you could sit down and play a game by yourself and just play and have fun, as far as that goes. Right. But to me, that was never very fun. Uh, what was right. fun was getting a group of six or eight kids together uh, and playing these games. And uh, I'm actually uh, reminiscing about that. It's fresh for me right now because last night my wife and I had a conversation about uh, some things in the past and I'm still remembering uh, Scotty McDonald and Ricky McDonald, a pair of brothers, and Alan Hardesty down in my basement playing these games and rolling dice. And and when something would go bad, you know, Scotty McDonald picking up the dice and throw them across the room. And every time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think for, for me, uh, the thing that resonated as you were talking about is just so much more fascinating to play the game um, uh, play games when you have a some form of human interaction rather than just the raw the at least that's how I interpreted your your comment so yeah absolutely well I, I mean you know trading against the computer in those other games right didn't feel as as good because I I could just cheat the computer right I could you know I knew what the computer was looking for so I could offer it you know uh, ten mo bonds for you know for uh, a, a Barry Bonds or something like that right so so you know and 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 so it was it was always very easy uh, for 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 me to um, Kind of take control of those computer games, but I, I wanted that more. I wanted more human interaction in the games, which is what I missed from BB Pro, mm-hmm. uh, from the BB Pro league I was in. Um, so, 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 I, so I eventually I started looking back into um, some OOTP leagues again, and I found Orb Two, and that's actually how I found Matt and uh, and his leagues through Orb Two. I was the Cincinnati Reds, and I uh, I hated them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hated you, them. You, you hated the Reds uh, yeah. themselves or your team. Well, I mean, I, I think I, I've said this before, but um, I'm a Red Sox fan, and so I, I try to like trick myself into think, saying, "Hey, this is like almost like the Red Sox, Cincinnati Reds, right?" Um, but that's that wasn't the case, and so I, I you know, the, the team I didn't like, the, the the Reds I didn't like. There was just so much I didn't like, but I was like, I really like the league, and I want to like, I want to put some more time into it and build this and, and so on. So, but eventually, I think I, I was probably with Orb Two for maybe a season or so, and uh, it, before it folded, and Matt offered me uh, an option to go to the uh, to the BBA, which you know, I was like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, and uh, get rid of the Reds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's when, it, um, yeah. So Matt, you know, offered me uh, Washington Bob Whites, um, but he said I could, you know, move the franchise, and I came up with Halifax. I don't really know why. Uh, I thought it was like clever at the time, I think. But um, but I, I came up with Halifax, and um, and I and I had some some logo designs from the WWBF that I used. Um, and uh, that's kind of where Halifax came from. But as far as like what got me like why am i so good at the game right <laughs> um i think yeah that's what i want to know that, and I'll, don't worry because <laughs> yeah. i will edit this out if i need to you know to keep it all to myself so yeah um i don't know if i'm 
I think I do a lot of trading, and trading is, incre- is incredibly risky. Um, you'll see with Halifax, if you ever look over my deals or if anyone looks over my deals in Halifax, um, I made some awful trades. <laughs> if you look at the, the, the people I traded, oh my gosh, it's just it's just sad. Uh, like Dan Leonard, he's about to be a Hall of Famer. I traded him when he was uh, 17 years old, 16 years old. Um, he, I think he came out of the league at 17. Um, and I traded Dan Leonard, uh, very, very young. Uh, I think it was for Jonathan Archer. Um, and it, it, so a lot of it was just because I thought I had a small window to actually compete. Um, and so, and I wanted to try to get a Landis. And so I, I, I went to the Landis series, uh, three times out of four years, if I remember correctly. And I was the only team to do that at the time. I think, uh, Rockville now just made it like three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, that's not as impressive anymore. But at the time, <laughs> it's still uh, pretty you know, impressive. That's, uh, <laughs> but at the time I was like, I'm the, I'm the best, you know? And, <laughs> but even though I only won one of the Landis out of the, out of those three that I was in. So yeah, winning Landis is just really overrated. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. my personal opinion at this point. Yeah. So I'm completely with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that mindset, but um, yeah. So I mean, as far as like, why am I so good? It's just the trades I've done, um, and, and uh, they've worked out for me for the most part. In some some cases, maybe not so. It didn't work out uh, well in others, but um, I think why is why is Edmonton kind of competing every year at this point? Um, it's probably because I, I, I've made some decent moves uh, and choices in my trades, most likely. Um, yeah, I think there's probably Whereas, two different flavors on on high volume traders or at least mid volume traders, right? Um, yeah. You know, I think there are guys who trade because they just like the act of trading. You know, the they get the adrenaline hit. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Shaw is a guy who just likes to trade. Uh, he's not sure whether he's he's not always sure. Although that I'm I'm gonna. Uh, mischaracterize Shaw for just a minute, you know, and say he's not always sure that it's uh, actually in his best interest, but he enjoys the act of trading. Now, that having <laughs> been sh- said, Shaw is a fantastic general manager and does a great job of player evaluation, and I think um, uh, he likes risk, so he doesn't mind taking a high-risk trade. Um, yep. So I think when he makes a, um, a, a uh, not subjective trade, um, a, um, a trade of some uh, uncertain merit. He understands that he's perhaps making a mistake, but he does, he's good with that. He's, up, he's good with the upside, right? Uh, then there's a group of people who trade uh, fairly heavily or make a lot of moves, I'll put it that way, because they have a plan and, and they are looking to, they don't have a, they like the high volume trading because they figure, most of the time I make a trade, I know what I'm trying to do, and most of the time that will make me get closer to my goal. Um, and so on the few times where it doesn't, where it blows up, well, you know, if I make 10 trades and eight of them get me closer to the goal and two of them take me back, then I'm still six ahead. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and right. I make sense. I'm probably uh, more along the first realm of people where I just like trading. I mean, even if I'm not trading in any particular period of time, I'm always, uh, you know, 
putting feelers out there, seeing what people are interested in, seeing what people need, rather than maybe if I can't offer it to you, but maybe I know someone else is is looking for this thing and you're trying to unload a piece. So you know, I'll I'll, I'll play I'll try to play like matchmaker in those situations, even even then, like even if it doesn't involve me. Um, so I'm always just trying to like talk to uh, GMs. I, I think I've talking I've spoken to every uh, GM in the BBA at one point or another about uh, about uh, trades. Um, yeah, and so um, there's you know, I, 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 I like talking really about it. it. Yeah, exactly, and and, and like it's some. Um, some camaraderie that, that that builds upon that. So if we do have something that works, then oh, you remember this last time that we talked about this? Maybe maybe this is a better choice than this, and so we can kind of connect all, based on our previous uh, discussions as well. There you go. What it, uh, you mentioned, you're a Red Sox fan. What is your yeah. uh, background around sports and baseball? It, it sounds to me like you're more a baseball fan than than other sports. But uh, am I reading that off? Uh, when I was younger, I was. I was much more of a baseball fan. But, I mean, we have the Patriots, man. I'm, I'm a way bigger football fan than I am a Patriots fan. Um, I, I'm a way bigger football fan than I, than I am a, uh, a baseball fan. Um, but uh, nowadays, uh, I would say. Um, but but I, I still love baseball. Um, I, I I used to, like – Jot down the the little uh, sheets uh, whenever when when you know a, a, a play was made and where the out was and so I I used to take box score sheets and, and do all that so I was uh, I was uh, I, I imagine I was a pretty big a- avid baseball fan at the time and I love baseball history I think uh, baseball history is more interesting than football history but you know it's not even close um, so. You know, but but as far as like my my personal background, um, I played baseball in college. I played football in high school. Um, I was very good at either of them. I was better in at football uh, than I was at baseball. Um, but uh, but I guess I was uh, I was more successful at baseball in the end. <laughs> but but I mean, but, you, I, but I was a bench player for the most part. Did you uh, grow up on the in in the Boston area and go to school there? What, what's the uh, connection with with Boston? Yeah, I grew up uh, in the Boston area. I went to school in uh, New Hampshire, um, and that's where I live now. I live in New Hampshire currently. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, I feel I have a feeling of New Hampshire as this quiet, cold place. <laughs> that's not inaccurate. Um, it's a quiet, cold place. has a lot of has has some mountains, has some lakes. Has uh, you know, it's very it's 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 nice. I, I really like New Hampshire, honestly. Um, I think when you get further north into like Maine and Vermont, way too quiet. I don't like it. There's like no cities really. Um, Vermont has Burlington, which is nice, but uh, more like a college town. Um, and and, Bain ha- and Maine has Bangor, uh, which is which can be nice, I guess, if you're into that. You but go. um, <laughs> but I, I like, but I like, I like, you know, New, New Hampshire's kind of in between, and I and I kind of like that. <laughs> there you go. Now, Artie, uh, so you talked a little bit about how you came through Orb Two into the BBA, uh, jumped into Halifax, and were uh, quite successful. Um, I liked your little moment of bravado there because I definitely feel it when I've got a hot team. I feel like, hey, you know, I'm I'm the uh, I'm the king. You know, uh, yeah, I haven't quite exactly. figured it out here in the BBA as far as that goes, and, unless I completely wipe my brain of this thing that happened last year. But um, uh, <laughs> what made you uh, move away from the BBA the first time? Um, I had some I had some medical issues. Uh, I think at the at the time I told. Um, 
I think I told Matt at the time that um, I had to step away because of uh, of my medical issues. Um, but honestly, man, um, I, I was scared. I, it was a, it was an emergency emergency medical issue, um, and I was in a uh, a weird mindset at the time that I I didn't know like if I could put the time towards the things I love anymore. Right. And, and so it was, it was a really strange moment for me in my life. Um, I'd never had to deal with anything like that previously. Um, and, and so there was a lot of repair work that I had to do, um, after that, just not even just physically, but mentally. Right. And, sure. um, and so it took some time, but, uh, and it, I actually, I think I tried to come back pretty, pretty soon afterwards. Um, I think I was in the, the EBA, uh, at the time, and um, and I try to come back, and uh, you know, and I try to put some time in, but I just wasn't ready, so I had to step away almost immediately afterwards. Uh, after I agreed to to come back, but but um, but everything's really good now. I'm healthy. I uh, I, I am motivated. I'm happy. <laughs> like <laughs> so, uh, you know, all the things that that um that I felt prior to my medical issue um, have resolved or, or have come back to life within me. And so, you know, and all this time, I mean, imagine, right. You have this amazing, <laughs> you have this amazing team that you, you've been to land is three out of four times now. And then you just started rebuilding. I just started rebuilding when I, when I, when I had to leave and, um, and I had a, and I thought I had a plan. I, I've never rebuilt anything, you know, in, in my baseball management sim career. But, um, but I thought I had a plan. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be really good. And then having to step away from that, um, was 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 challenging for me. Um, during the time I was away, because I was, I kept on thinking like, uh, you know, where would the team be now? Like, where would I be now for Landis, uh, you know, <laughs> championships <laughs> if if I hadn't had to step away? And so, yeah. And so it's it, it's funny. Um, I I would check up every now and then and see how I think um. I think Joe uh, took took Halifax over, and so I would check in and, and see how Joe was doing, and see, oh man, that that move, that's probably a good one. That's <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would check up on them every one now and then. Well, I think that's interesting because the uh, question of, you know, the the culture of an online league is a interesting thing to study uh, to begin with, and I'm uh, I spent the last ten years of my uh, oh corporate life. Uh, basically doing social engineering, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I'm an engineer and a systems guy. You, you may get the idea from my charts and tables that I that I like uh, figuring things out. Um, so I'm interested. I'm always interested in the culture of an online league, and you know the people talk about the churn and GMs leaving, um, and you do see, especially you know that your first uh, WWBF uh, where that collapsed because the GMs weren't strong enough and couldn't stay in right um, yeah. you know this B, the, the BBA is uh, what attracts me about the BBA is that we actually have a very different kind of turnover uh, certainly we do have a few guys uh, who will come in and leave within a month or two right and they never really they just kind of bounce off us <laughs> Yeah. Uh, right, but what we really have uh, that is uh, more deep is a lot deeper. Is we have um, GMs who get invested and then they have to leave because life changes for them. Right, you yeah. had a medical issue. I know Ed had to step uh, back, and we brought Jeff into the Des Moines seat uh, with a medical issue. Right, we have um, you know Ted recently left because his kind of, he's kind of brain 
dead on OOTP, which I completely resonate with because I left a, yeah. a, a, a different league uh, because my brain just was not emotionally ready to give myself to the league the way that I want to give it, right? And I almost yeah. I get that almost from your attempt to come back inside the EBA as you came back too early for your uh, emotional. Uh, these things matter, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> these absolutely. Things matter, and and for me, uh, what I heard you say was you were not ready to give your emotional the emotional depth you need um, to play it to play the game in the way you want to play it. Yeah. So you had to leave. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think that? I was excited at the time. I think I was excited. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally join the EBA. Then I then I looked over the team and I was excited and I was like, oh, man, I, I, I'm glad to be back, you know, playing uh, baseball management sim again. Um, it, it, but so there's something there that just didn't feel uh, didn't click for me. I don't even think I got one export in for, uh, for the team. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even remember what the team is, you know, but like, you know. Yeah, it's just it, I just wasn't something just didn't click there where it was the right time for me, you know. And and you're you're probably right though. Probably it was a, an emotional impact thing where I couldn't devote the time or uh, the emotional investment to the team as I, as much as I wanted. Yeah, and I think uh, I don't know that when I left my uh, when I had my issue with the other league and left it. I don't know whether I would have been whether I was smart enough to look at myself and say, you know, hey, you just um, just take your time and things will be fine, right? right <laughs> I look back yeah. on it now and I go, well, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And then I, I start to look at when people move and, and so forth out of this league, um, especially somebody who's been in for 10 or 12 or 15 seasons. Tyler recently left, right, because his life, I think, is so busy right now that he can't handle the same number of leagues. Uh, I don't know if he's still in other leagues that he's in or whatnot, but um, yeah. anyway, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how familiar you are with our GM's corner, but it is, uh, I like to throw people into this massively intense lightning round where we make you sweat <laughs> like mad. So I'm going to run you through a collection of four or five uh, uh, potentially quick questions and, and we'll sure. see where they go. Um, That's good. Go for it. Uh, Peter Grady or Rocky Allen, most important player that Edmonton got in your latest Jacksonville deal? Um, I think Peter Grady. Why? Um, I well, for me, it's just more like I, I want to. I've never had a really great bullpen. I've, I've said this previously. I think I probably said this this, this last off season um, that I've never had a great bullpen, and uh, this is probably the first time that I feel like I have a good bullpen that's performing well. And Grady provides me with a little bit more flexibility to do something different than I've ever done previously. Um, and get creative with my bullpen and. Uh, man, I in, in less than the 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 time that my starters are pitching and I've never had that. I, I, you know, any, anywhere in the BBA, anywhere in in any baseball management, even like other games, like MLB, the the show, I've never had a a chance to have my bullpen just take over a game. And I feel like uh, Peter Grady might provide that to me. There you go. Who wins the Atlantic division this year? (sighs) The Atlantic division. I think Montreal has a great shot. I mean, I also just made a trade with them that um, that I think puts them in a, in a better position than they were previously. Um, it, you know, if they can if they can get past these next two months, I, I look at Montreal as a contender. Um, 
I think it probably is going to be the Crawdads, though. I'll, that's, and I'll be my final answer. I think the Crawdads it, it, pull it out, wins the division. But Montreal is going to be in the thick of it. Yeah, it's hard to vote, hard to bet against New Orleans. Jim is number one, so good, and yeah, um, so. and he uh, actually, I had voted. I, I thought that uh, Charm City or New Orleans were the team last year, but of course, New Orleans uh, had their entire pitching staff essentially <laughs> uh, self <laughs> uh, self implode. So, yeah. Um, will we have real baseball this year? Yeah, we'll have real baseball this year. Um, I think it'll begin in June. Um, I, and I think it'll be that Arizona league that everyone's talking about. How do you feel about it uh, in context of, um, um, you know, will the champion be a real champion? That's an interesting, um, I don't think it's a real champion. It's not a real, it's not a, it's not a real baseball series like season. Um, you know, so, so, but it is, it, I, I, I tend to look at it more like an expedition uh, exhibition uh, season. Um, I think it'll be shortened. I don't think it's going to last until October or anything like that. Um, I think it'll be a shortened season, probably something like 60 to 80 games in Arizona. Think of it as like an extended spring training. Um, you know, I, but I, I think it'll be fun. I, I think it'll be fun to watch. I think that'll be really, really cool actually. Um, to, to, you know, but, but, and, and I think there's opportunities, um, in television to make this even more exciting. Uh, and I think they'll, they'll, we'll see some different things with sports this year in general, just not even baseball, but other, other sports as well. I think we're going to see some really interesting, cool things out of, out of, uh, television these next uh, several months and, and to see how they kind of enhance the experience for the viewer, uh, while everyone's trying to social distance. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. I think the the idea of sports, uh, you know, real sports leagues actually needing to innovate in some way to make things work <laughs> will create yeah. uh, will likely create some things that nobody yet is even really talking about. You know, they're talking about some kind of off the wall things, but I think ultimately they don't really know what their opportunity field is yet. Uh, but what's going to happen is they're thinking about a lot of things and then the opportunity field is going to open and the reality will hit the road. And uh, <laughs> uh, so that'll be interesting. How do you sit down, you, Chris Robillard, um, looking at the, the, there's a sim here tonight. You've got a set of teams that you're going to play. How do you sit down to prepare for your team for a sim? How do you game plan? Uh, what's your approach? Um, so I look over the previous games that the teams have won, that my opponents have won, um, and I try to look at trends. Uh, so with my most pre, uh, my most recent Landis win, I uh, observed the team I was playing, and uh, I, can't and I noticed who that was. You know, I, I remember some of the players that played for them, but I can't remember the team name. But um, but. Uh, I observed that, or that some of the players that they had, um, like George Robertson, um, uh, there, there's others. I, I'm actually just going, I'm riffing right now. I don't, I don't, I don't remember everyone, but, but, um, but a lot of them, so versus lefties, they had certain players playing versus righties, they had certain players playing. And there was a point when I was about to submit my export, when I was like, man, I don't know if I want this to be, you know, uh, facing against this particular hitter or, or, you know, this, I think it was two hitters that I didn't want to uh, play against. And, um, and so I decided to throw Akahori, Ryose Akahori on the mound for, uh, I think it was game four or game five. And, um, and, and he's a lefty 
and uh, and so that would be the second lefty, the third lefty that would that would, that would play in the Landis series uh, that would kind of nudge these other batters out of uh, out of the the the, the Landis series, and uh, so that's what I did, and it ended up uh, winning me a Landis <laughs> in the end. Uh, okay, enough with that line of thought. <laughs> Favorite Halifax player. Uh, favorite Halifax player. Um, man, I, I know it was it was short lived, and I wished it it could have gone longer. But Steve Hoffman was fantastic. Um, I really really liked Steve Hoffman, and I I didn't get to um have him on my team for very long. Um, and I gave up the world for him when I got him. But man, he was so good. You know, he he, he basically won me a Landis. Uh, I, I I believe that went sixteen and zero the season that I won the Landis, if I remember correctly. I know he went undefeated. Yeah, I um, think, I think and, he's the guy that Fred uh, Fred Holmes will talk about on occasion as as uh, as a trade that either went really well or really poorly, depending on how he feels at the moment. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and uh, man, I, I mean, that won me a Landis, so I, I feel really good about that, uh, about Steve Hoffman. Also, like Diego Moreno. Uh, again, I didn't uh, play with him for very long because uh, I ended up leaving the league, but um, I was I was really excited that um, about Diego Moreno. Um, he was a prospect for most of the time that I had him, but um, and then seeing him kind of, develop over you know, over time was really cool to see um you know when i look back at the history i'm like oh yeah you know he's, he's a hall of famer and all this that you know it's kind of cool um yeah favorite, there's a lot of i could go on for a long time but go ahead <laughs> favorite player in edmonton uh steve collins is probably the easy choice uh bobby lynch was my favorite for a very long time it's probably still my favorite i think i'm gonna go with bobby lynch um i i, I like a power pitcher and a lefty power pitcher um kind of reminds me of like uh randy charlton those type of players um and i know he doesn't have that submarine or sidearm uh, <laughs> uh that that randy johnson has but uh you kind have of the it in your imagination where, yeah i know that's kind of that's and that's what i was about to say is like i kind of have that that kind of uh picture of, of bobby lynch in my mind of, of kind of a, a gritty you know tough lefty uh, power pitcher. And, okay. um, and, and so uh, that's kind of the imagination that I have of uh, of uh, Bobby Lynch. And I like the Bobby Lynch story, young, hot, yeah. uh, young, hot gun coming up through the, uh, through the ranks and gets hurt and manages yep. to hang in and is now kind of a crafty, gritty, wily veteran with a little bit of heat. I mean, that's a good story, yeah. right? So and, You know, and he keeps bouncing back. And, and that's what I like about Bobby Lynch is, is no matter like how bad things get for him, he seems to still be doing well. Yeah. Like every time I look at him, I'm just going to pull him up real quick and, uh, before we move on. And I just want to see Bobby Lynch, 4.54 ERA um, in 105 innings. It's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Last year he went 148 innings with a 3.383 ERA. You know, for for and I thought it was a great trade for Brooklyn, uh, and that that was just for Brooklyn. But I thought it was a great trade for Brooklyn. Um, and uh, and I, so I always liked Bobby Lynch, and uh, he's still my favorite. He's probably my favorite player in the BBA, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Well, you have survived the lightning round, uh, so congratulations! You've managed to uh, Oof. to make it through with all of your fingers on the uh, on the hands and <laughs> you know all that other good stuff. It is, uh, uh, as I've said before, it is traditional Tense. to uh, to uh, have me give you the reins, and if you have anything you would like me to talk about or ask me, uh, yeah. 
put me under the bright lights, I'm happy to to suffer that those slings and arrows now, if you'd like. <laughs> I have so many things I could talk to you about, Ron. So many. I have like when it, when I was thinking about like doing this with you, I have a, a huge list. I might do a Ron Collins podcast someday, just where I ask you <laughs> questions. But um, the the thing I'm most interested in now, just because it's on the top of the mind, I just made two trades. Uh, one against Montreal, once again, one against Jackson uh, against one with Montreal, <laughs> one with Jacksonville. I have to be really careful. Yeah, um, Freudian slips there. You, yeah, right. Uh, how do you um, how do you feel about trading in general? Just your, what's your philosophy for trading? Um, I love to trade. Uh, I think it's it's a lot of fun, but I tend to fit into the uh, we were talking about yeah. uh, high volume traders. If you look at my history, I am either a pretty high volume trader. I'll make three, four, five trades in a single season, you know. Um, but then I will also tend to go fallow, um, and I'm more in a fallow uh, zone right now. I'm making. Um, trades in fits and starts because mostly what I am is a system program kind of guy, right? I create a plan in my mind that is based on uh, the personnel that I have. And then I go about executing that plan and I'm looking for specific kinds of players um, or particular value. So uh, whenever I make a trade, it is uh, generally with a, um, goal in mind to fill something that will be happening within the next, you know, either a year to five years when it comes, <laughs> when it comes right down to it. Um, so ultimately right now I'm kind of fallow because my plan has pretty much been set and I'm almost on cruise control probably this last year and this year. I expect that I will be in, knock on wood, I'll be in cruise control next year, but then 2024 is going to come about, and I think the wheels are going to start to fall off, and you'll probably see me make uh, a whole bunch of different kinds of moves. Um, right now, I'm just kind of nudging the, you know, I'm, I'm like a little tugboat nudging the ship right and left. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, before that's all said and done. That's cool. I, I I like to uh, think of myself as a system trader, but it's not true. Uh, it, it just sounds more intellectual <laughs> to me. You know, uh, you know, I, I'm a system trader. You know, I, I, but I don't have any plan. I, I, I'm a high volume trader. I, 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 I like to acquire pieces that I think will get me further along than I was previously. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm probably uh, more of an aggressive trader where I trade, you know, I, I, I just mentioned it in the uh, in the thread yesterday, um, but I'm more of a high ceiling trader than I am for a high floor. I, I'm, I'm a more aggressive trader where I try to get like pieces that I think will get me um, a Landis like every time, every year I want a Landis, right? Sure. And, and, um, and in it doesn't matter if uh, like if those pieces are fragile. It doesn't matter if uh, you know. It really, you know, I don't have. I, I, but I know those those same things affect value. So, um, or they should, right? Yeah. Uh, so, 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 you and know, I, I don't mind buying low is... to you know if I think that it'll get me high. I want I want to create depth in my system, so I try to do that. But um, yeah, but, I, I think that's, you, I think oh, those are ahead. the kinds of things that uh, create the uh, reaction around. Um, around the league, right? Because especially yeah. for young players with high ceilings, um, um, <clears throat> people tend to look at the uh, at the ceiling as the value, and they don't take into account as much 
the risk factors, right? And yep. um, in particular, you know, I, I can't remember uh, who the uh, you know you you picked up a catcher who has an extremely high ceiling and is ready and playing now. So when he plays, he's going to be very good, right? Without any question. Right. And sure. so the the risk question is how uh, bad is that injury flow gonna? Um, going to create with Schaefer, right? Schaefer is the guy's name. Um, You know, I look at, oh, there's a couple of shortstops. I was at Harlan Moore. um, And there's another guy, uh, two two guys who teams constantly pick up and they get like 40 games a year out of them before they're done, right? And and ultimately... That's a. Uh, it does. It almost doesn't matter how good you are if you can only play thirty or forty games. The value, the overall value of that player is is minimal, and in fact can be detrimental. I don't want those guys. I don't want a guy on my team who's yeah. only going to be able to be there for thirty or forty games because then I have to have another player <laughs> uh, to fill his his spot. But that's a that's a team philosophy. And if Schaefer doesn't end up having that kind of an injury. Uh, history than um, or Schaffer, um, then uh, then obviously you got a, a pretty big um, swing out of that. For me, the big question on that particular deal has less to do with the uh, young star players uh, who, uh, yes, if their ceiling ends up um, ends up high, will be pretty valuable. Uh, to me, the most interesting thing about it from the Montreal side, the most risky side, is what happens with Mons Raider in years, you know, three, four, five, six. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, there's a financial tag that's associated with him. Um, and I will admit I have been angsty about Mons Raider for uh, even when you acquired him. I was sitting there thinking, well, that's a that's a risky thing. You just picked up a guy with an injury history uh, who makes yeah. most of his value with his legs. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens right now. I think Montreal has put themselves into a pretty nice position. I think Mons Raider is a, uh, still has quite a bit of value and they are in a chase for a, a division title. Um, so flags, as they say, flags fly forever. If that, uh, deal works out with, uh, Montreal making it into the playoffs and making a good run of it. And, you know, you proved last year, I think you came in fourth last year and still managed to somehow or another pick out, uh, a Landis, uh, trophy out of it. So, and I, I still can't remember who it was that you won against. It just, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and look at that. I, I'm, I'm still totally blanking on it. If Montreal winds up having that kind of a run, then certainly you would look back at this and say, hey, that was clearly um, uh, clearly worth it, even if those high-ceiling players come in. <laughs> yeah, right. and I, You and just I don't think, know what the future is going to bring. And I think a lot of my trades um, kind of break down into that, right? I mean, it, it's, it's either uh, uh, one team is rebuilding or of some sort, uh, and one team is contending of some sort. I mean, Calgary, my trade with Calgary, uh, my Bobby Lynch trade, mm-hmm. was was very much along that, you know, clear cut uh, around that, right? Uh, where, you know, I was trading Calgary, trading Bobby Lynch to Calgary who wanted to get a Landis, right? And, and, and in, re- in return, I got pieces back. I got Pepe, Lin- uh, Pepe uh, Espinosa back, you know? Um, and, and now he's, he's performing well for me. Um, and so 
and a lot of my trades break down into either one. I, I think I'm always contending. I but I but I like to kind of step back sometimes and and trade away pieces in order to get something. Uh, my trade last year uh, for Amos Swallows, I, I traded uh, Joey O'Brien, I traded uh, Jared Thieler, and I traded Nicolo Machiavelli, uh, and, and got Amos Swallows back. So I'll bounce back back and forth between those. Um, it, you know, it, it, because I think it's. Uh, Valuable to trade with people that know what they want to do, know what they want to know what they want to go for in trades. If they want to contend, they they want to grab pieces in order to contend. Um, and, and so I think that's really valuable. Um, yeah, without a question. Yeah. I mean, you know, you 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 learn a little bit about what people are trying to accomplish. And I know that when I put deals like that together, I'm I'm attempting to help the other team get to the goal that they want to um, to get to. And like I say, I completely understand some of the um, uh, some of the reaction that occurs oh, yeah. in some of those. Of I, I've been in the middle of a couple of those, and I, you're probably aware of some of them. And I don't want to rehash old things, but at the end of the day, oh, that's the that's okay. always a, a question, right? Um, sure. As I've said in a couple of other places, I have a very very hard time of answering the question of fair. Uh, it's like all yeah. other things in life. I I love the conversation. I'm happy to have lots of conversation about how people look at relative merit and relative values. Uh, but fair is a very, very, very difficult thing to get into for any conversation when you really get down into it. The real question is in a trade: did did a did a general manager get closer to the goal that they are trying to accomplish? And if that answer is yes, then uh, even if even if I feel that a uh, pure weighting of value on the scales of judgment <laughs> right, is off, yeah. then I'm happy with the deal. Because as long as the two GMs are happy, the two think that they're hitting the goals that they're trying to get. Um, and especially if I can look at the risk factors and say, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it is actually possible there's a non-zero chance – uh, that the players that you got out of the Montreal deal will gain you zero value. Yeah, um, I know. You know, before it's all said, that <laughs> I think Lopez is done. I think he's. Yeah, I think, I, I think he's a too. non-value uh, player in that. Uh, Karutu is an interesting, um, yeah. uh, interesting guy because he's a right-handed bat and he can't really play the field. Although if he plays first yeah. base, he's going to be a better than average first baseman. But do you want that kind of a uh, right-handed? Uh, he's kind of a platoon guy, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, high-end I think platoon guy. But uh, a left-hand, you know, short-side platoon guy. How value? How valuable is that going to be? And will his uh, uh, intangibles uh, create problems in the future? Um, Karatu may well be the most valuable player that you got out of that out of that deal. But again, if Sheffer comes through and plays and is not injured, that's a pretty high value chip right there. Right. Um, you know, the problem is I, you, I can't look at that and say, what is the actual value that those three players are going to give Edmonton right now? I need to wait for four or five years and then I can look back and go, oh, yeah, Edmonton got a hell of a deal out of that. Yeah. Or, you know, they got nothing. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is. It's and I think part of that is is how the team values, values the player, too. I mean, if, if a player is just not, uh, you know, if the, if the team doesn't value that player and is not going to play the player, you know, um, uh, I, I and and it, it could be just a uh, 
a, a bad decision by the by the, the GM. I get it, right? But if if that team is just not going to play the player, and that's exactly what was happening with Sheffer, is that uh, is that Jeff Jeffrey was was concerned about playing Sheffer because he's been injured. Um, all year. I mean, he's been he's had those little injuries, mm-hmm. uh, two, three weeks, four weeks that have um, that have kept him out from playing. So Jeff was platooning him, um, and, uh, and and he just thought, okay, well, you know, I'd rather have someone more durable like Fabre. Um, and so that's 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 actually how I felt like the deal was going. Is that he wanted more durable players, rather, and, and maybe he takes a step back on offense a little bit. But uh, he wanted more durable players that would be out there, um, you know, more, you know, for a longer period of time because he didn't feel like he had the depth in order to, to you know, have that player, you know, that depth player play more often if this player is out all the time. So. I totally understand that mindset, and that's why, and that's that's what the deal was predicated on. That's why I, I made the post that I did explaining the trade, um, and, and I thought it was a good one for both sides, and I, and I still think it's a good one for both sides. I, I, and same thing with, with Jacksonville, though. Um, I, I feel, you know, I thought I'd have that there would be a bigger reaction after the Montreal trade to the Jacksonville trade, but um, but I, I feel the same way about the Jacksonville trade. Um, uh, you know, Rocky Allen is is set up for about a 2.0 WAR season. This is not even going to get you a first round supplemental. He's going to be a free agent after the season, um, and, uh, and you know he he's probably going to pull in a, t- uh, a type B supplemental for a second round pick. But um, that's going to get you a better player. I mean, that's not going to get you a better player than uh, Julio Uribe. That is what I gave, um, and so that was that was what that deal was based on as well. So. Um, yeah, I kind of like the um, yeah. I kind of uh, like the deal, the Jacksonville deal uh, better on Jacksonville's side than I like Montreal's yeah. side of the Montreal deal. Um, yeah. As far as that goes, I completely understand. I think I understand where Greg is at. Uh, it's a somewhat uh, classic Greg deal, as best as I can can uh, pretend to know what is going through another person's <laughs> mind. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I think he's moving pieces that probably don't have a place in his future plan. Although I like Rocky right. Allen quite a bit, you know, at the end of the day, when it really boils down to it, we can talk about Fabre um, is more reliable than Sheffer. And that that's either true or not true. And it's going to take a while for him to get on the field and so forth. The, what it boils down to for Montreal is will Mons Raider bring him a, a championship yeah. team over the next year or two. And if that right. does not happen, then this deal probably falls apart for Montreal. But you yeah. just can't say what's going to happen. And so I'm, I, uh, I will withhold my, <laughs> I withhold any. Yeah. Uh, I, I see the the logic behind it, and I, I like a couple of the guys. I like Jerry Bell as a part time filler for Montreal. I think there's okay. some quiet value there. I like Tommy's uh, future. I don't really like Raul Moreno much, but you never know what's going to happen with any chip. So. Um, you yeah. know, as far as I'm concerned, Vincente Lopez is probably a non, a non value too. So who, who, who am I to say what's going to happen? Um, we could look back on this and say that Montreal got a huge steal. Uh, we could look back and say that Edmonton, Edmonton got a huge steal. I, I think it's unlikely that it just comes out perfect, even Steven, but you just don't know yeah. what's going to happen. Right. Whereas I think in Jacksonville, I, I think Jacksonville's, um, move is less risky toward their plan. Uh, they may or may not have been able to get more out of some of these players, but I also know Greg has been working the trade wires pretty heavily for the past week or two, 
and uh, GMs have had their shot at giving better value. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so at some point, I kind of look at guys and say, "Well, hey, if you're upset about it, you should have given them more." Um, right. You know, that's always the, the the key, especially for a guy who may have been on the trade uh, block. I know there have been times where teams have made. Um, uh, controversial trades and you look at it and go, Hey, these guys are on the trade block for three weeks. You could have made, a, you could yeah. have made a better deal. So it, it, um, it is funny. It, this is really the, why I bring it up. I mean, and, and why I, I'm shocked at the reaction. I mean, when I traded, uh, for Mons Raider, it seemed like everyone had this big, you know, uh, thing about Mons Raider. They, they really respected the player. And now, uh, two, three seasons later, it's like, Oh, you know, Mons Raider is, uh, is, is not that good. Um, it, it, despite having the best season of his career up to, you know, questionably, uh, the, the, the best season of his career last season. So, yeah. um, yeah, so it, but it it's, is fair. You know, I mean, I, I actually, yeah. I'm, I've not been a huge Mons Raider fan for a few years. Like I said, I was actually angsty when you picked him up. Uh, <laughs> you know, he makes a lot of his value with his legs, and his legs are not what, um, not what they used to be. So I think there is some, um, there's certainly some reasonable um, concern about a guy who's sure. getting into his 30s. Um, and whether he's not performing well this season. Yeah, and he's not performing well this season. Yeah, uh, you know that uh, that speed is down. He used to be what an eleven thirteen, and now he's like a seven twelve. So he is, uh, you know, he's thirty one. He's not the Mons Raider that he was before, but he can still be a guy who will um, get on base four hundred, four ten, uh, steal fifty, seventy bases, not one hundred and twenty like he was. Uh, and if that 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 is the kind of performance that can turn a muddy Atlantic division into a Montreal division. And if that happens, then Montreal did a fantastic job. You know? Talk about an excellent floor on a player, by the way. I mean, uh, Montreal has an amazing floor uh, oh. on, 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 on it. So, I mean, th- this deal, I mean, I think it was really accurately described as, as a, a trade between a high ceiling and a high floor. Um, and, you know, one, one team wants to play it a little bit more conservatively and get that on-base percentage in Montreal, uh, get that on-base percentage so that they can – and they feel like their team will be better, you know, uh, positioned for a playoff run. Uh, you know, or, or a division run, uh, based on that, and then they're trading away their high ceiling in order to do that. I mean, in, in, but the same thing happened with Calgary, right? Same thing happened with Calgary, and I've done the same thing previously myself when, with my deal with uh, uh, Steve Hoffman. So, um, yeah, so so I mean, these type of trades happen all the time, um, and, and so I, not that the the reaction is warranted. I you know everyone can have any reaction to any deal they yeah. want. I just want to open up the conversation. And, hey, let's have a conversation about it. You know, and, uh, and you know, well, let's talk about a, uh, a different conversation. Let's talk about the frontier as a whole. How do you see um, how do you see this uh, panning out? We're about halfway through the season, and Edmonton is currently. Uh, leading the pack by a bit, but you've got a, a pretty healthy set of competitors coming along right behind you. What's well, what do you project uh, happening here as far as the frontier through the rest of the year? I've said it for several seasons now, right? And finally, this season I appear to be uh, almost correct or something. But uh, Mexico City and San Antonio are, I thought, for three seasons now, uh, so, uh, two of the best teams in the, in the, the division. Um, I, you know, Calgary is, is right up there. I thought Calgary was going to take the, the, the division this season, to be honest, at the start of the season. But, um, but I've always thought San Antonio and Mexico City should be up there. Um, and they just haven't had the, the, uh, they haven't been positioned, um, as, as well as I thought they would be, uh, the past few years. I think, um, 
Mexico City went to the playoffs last season, though. But like, but it, it, one of them are always, you know, going to make the, the wild card. But man, uh, Mexico City's uh, run recently, uh, spe- uh, specifically, has been awesome. I think Mexico City is a really strong team. Um, I, I I think San Antonio will be up there, um, perhaps in first, second place by the end of the season. But uh, I just love their pitching, you know. But uh, who knows? Yeah, finally, you know, finally so. Yeah, right. With their injuries, that they that they have uh, maybe maybe not. But but um, yeah. I mean, I think they 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 should be up there. Um, but uh, that's going to require Edmonton falling back, which I, I thought pressure's on for me. I mean, especially after uh, Justin uh, <laughs> called me out. So uh, <laughs> pressure's on. I can't prove Justin correct. So um, so yeah. So I made that trade with uh, the Jacksonville in in, uh, in Montreal to see if I can make my team a little better. And hopefully, um, hopefully those two trades do that for the season. And How much I do you can... think that Mexico City's stadium actually impacts their performance? How much do you think their rainouts and, and lack of a roof make a difference to, at all? I've never really thought about it, um, to be honest. I, I, I don't think, um, you know, I just, the players will perform however they'll perform in this game. Um, and, and I don't think too much about rainouts and, and how, how, how much that uh, causes their starters to be healthier. I was actually thinking about probably for the first time just the other day, probably on Friday, uh, when I was looking at it, looking over the team ahead of, uh, uh, you know, after the, the rainouts that we had and head to my next series with them. And I was thinking, you know, um, they, they could probably just play with, for for starters, for the most part, uh, maybe have a spot start every now and then uh, because of the rainouts. They could, you know they'll have a, a day, an extra day off every once in a while. But um, I'm not sure if Mexico City is playing that way. Um, they're not using their their starters in that fashion. Uh, and maybe I'm just totally wrong about that entirely. Maybe they 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 wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but I, I, I put I don't put a lot of thought into it. I think the players going to perform how they they're going to perform regardless, um, and uh, regardless of any rainouts or anything like that. Um, and I but I think uh, Mexico City is a good team. And they're going to be in it uh, until the end probably. Yeah, that's actually interesting. Uh, interesting twist. I hadn't thought about that. How much um, if you get a bunch of rainouts, can you actually afford to go with a true four man rotation and then add a fifth in as the emergency starter for those yep. double headers that uh, will otherwise <laughs> rip up a pitching staff? You know, that's because uh, I think about rainouts mostly as problematic for the bullpens. Uh, but it's uh, your point is it's a is interesting to think about it as a uh, opportunity for the starting rotation, especially in this era of difficulty finding five um, workable starters. Um, so maybe that's, that's uh, I have to think about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't put too much thought into it. I just thought, if I had Mexico City, this is this is definitely something I would try to do. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, well, I appreciate, um, appreciate your time here this afternoon, morning. Um, been a fantastic conversation. We'll definitely have to do some more and be uh, interested in this, in this idea of a, uh, of a standalone podcast where you get to ask all the questions. Those, <laughs> I have to have to think about that. And now I'm going to rethink a little bit more about who that team was last year that, uh, <laughs> that you were, you were in with. I know that the two of us get the honor though of filling out the all-star rosters this year. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that and, uh, and have to be thinking about that. I think maybe that means that, it, no, it couldn't be that I was the team. 
<laughs> you know what, Ron? I think it was you that was that team. I think God. it was Yellow Springs 9 yeah. that, that I placed us. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, Chris. I appreciate your time, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to have to let you go because certain things are coming back to me too hard. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, and always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points. <laughs>